0: let's spend a moment in prayer together and thank the Lord for our Savior. Our Father, we come now to the time to consider truth from Your Word. We're so very thankful for what You have done through Christ. And as we look now to one of the many prophecies and fulfillments of those prophecies of the coming Savior, we ask You, Lord, to... Thrill our hearts with truth to help us to understand, as we mentioned this morning, we do not have a blind faith. We have a faith in the Son of God who has been announced from the beginning of time, announced through all the, the centuries and centuries of Old Testament prophecy. And He came, as Paul said in Galatians 4, in the fullness of time at exactly the right moment. So we give you thanks for that. May our hearts be attuned to your word this evening, we pray in Christ's name, amen. I'm going to read tonight from Zechariah 9 and then from Mark 11. This is probably a good evening to just maybe listen along. If you'd like to try to turn to maybe Mark 11, that's fine, but uh, I'll be reading to you everything we need to hear. This Christmas season, we've been looking at some important prophecies of the Old Testament, concerning the first coming of Jesus Christ. And tonight, to finish off this series, I'd like to examine what I'm calling the humble presentation of Jesus. The humble presentation of Jesus was predicted many hundreds of years prior to the birth of Christ. And what we're going to see is the convergence of an amazing, specific, very specific prophecy made about Christ and the fulfillment of that prophecy in one unique event the prophecy occurs in the prophet Zechariah. In many ways, Zechariah is perhaps the most messianic book in all the Old Testament. It's referenced 41 times in the New Testament. Zechariah prophesied in the days of the return from exile over 500 years prior to the birth of Christ. He was encouraging God's people to spiritual renewal, encouraging them to rebuild the temple He was revealing God's plans for future Israel as an encouragement to them. And in the midst of this revelation, there is a a little prophecy just tucked away in Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Make a loud shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and endowed with salvation. Lowly, and here's the specific prophecy... And mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a pack animal. Prophecies don't get much more specific than that. Now we fast forward 550 years after Zechariah wrote those words. and we get to the record of Jesus' ministry in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 11... In the Gospel of Mark, to this point, Jesus has presented Himself to Israel, He's presented Himself to Gentiles, He's presented Himself to His disciples, but all individually. Up until now, the many crowds that have followed after Him, He's not officially, openly presented Himself to Israel as a nation. He's given them a chance individually to worship Him, to follow Him, to be spiritually saved by Him, but not officially as a nation. has not presented himself many including his own disciples only thought as far ahead as perhaps jesus politically doing some sort of takeover to get out from under the the enslavement and the oppression by rome often in his ministry jesus had given orders of silence he would perform a great miracle and then he would tell the person don't tell anyone but now that changes For the first time, Jesus is going to openly present himself to Israel. He's going to ride to Jerusalem as a king. He's no longer keeping his messianic mission, his royal dignity a secret. And he's given Israel a choice to receive him as their king and their messiah. Although he knows in his sovereignty that they won't. They won't receive him. Mark chapter 11 Verse 1 says as they approached Jerusalem at Bethphage and Bethany near the Mount of Olives. Now I have to stop right there because we have to establish a little bit of a time frame when Jesus and the disciples arrived at Bethphage it's the only time that little town's referenced. And they got to Bethany this was Saturday prior to the Passover. John chapter 12 tells us they arrived 6 days before Passover which is a Friday. So this is a Saturday. They came to the home of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. That evening, Saturday evening, in John 12, we find that Mary, Martha, and Lazarus gave a dinner for Jesus. And on this occasion, Mary anointed the feet of Jesus with expensive perfume as an act of worship. The next day, Sunday, John 12, verse 9, tells us that when the Jews of Jerusalem had heard that Jesus was in Bethany, the crowd walked the little under two miles to see Jesus and to see Lazarus. Do you remember that Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead? And by the way, the chief priests, the, the wicked religious fakes were planning not only to kill Jesus, they were planning to kill Lazarus. Why would they kill Lazarus? Because many were coming to faith in Christ because of the testimony of Lazarus. You don't get much better than he raised me from the dead. That's a pretty good testimony. And now, on Monday, comma, after the word olives, he sent two of his disciples. So a day has passed between the comma and the word he sent two of his disciples. Now, I bring this up because this is Palm Monday, not very popular. We celebrate Palm Sunday and that tradition is stuck until Christ returns and corrects everybody. But it is one day off. If Jesus rode in on Sunday, then there's a day, Wednesday, that none of the Gospels record anything happening. In fact, theologians often call that silent Wednesday. There is no silent Wednesday. There's, I rode in on Monday, not Sunday. Now, why is this important? Listen, the sacrificial lamb every year at Passover was to be chosen On Monday before Passover. So Jesus sticks to that schedule. He is the Lamb of God. And he presents himself as the Lamb of God on Monday. So except for the first half of verse 1, what we're reading takes place on Monday of the Passion Week. As they approached Jerusalem at Bethphage and Bethany near the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village opposite you and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there on which no one yet has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. And if anyone says to you, why are you doing this? You say the Lord has need of it and immediately he will send it back here. And they went away and found a colt tied at the door outside in the street and they untied it. And some of the bystanders were saying to them, what are you doing? Untying the colt. And they spoke to them just as Jesus had told them and they gave them permission And they brought the colt to Jesus and put their garments on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their garments in the road, and others spread leafy branches, having cut them from the fields. And those who went in front and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David, Hosanna in the highest. And Jesus entered Jerusalem and came into the temple. And after looking around at everything, he left for Bethany with the twelve, since it was already late. In keeping with the prophecy about himself in Zechariah 9, Jesus is going to present himself officially to Israel as their king, and he's going to do it in five ways, or five presentations that I want to highlight for us briefly this evening. The first presentation, he presents himself as the Messiah of Israel. He presents himself as the Messiah of Israel. Now, in Jesus' day, there were five major roads that led into Jerusalem. Jesus chose the road at the east, coming from Bethany, coming from the Mount of Olives. This is important. It was very appropriate for Jesus to approach Jerusalem from the east, from the Mount of Olives. The Lord told Ezekiel the prophet that someday he would restore disobedient Israel Ezekiel eleven nineteen says I will give them one heart and give within them a new spirit and I will take the heart of stone out of their flesh and I will give them a heart of flesh and then in verse 20 then they will be my people and I shall be their God but this wasn't going to happen soon Ezekiel 11 is important because this is when the glory of the Lord departs from Jerusalem departs from Israel and what does that have to do with Jesus and his entrance? On the way out, God, represented by the glory of God, made a stop. Ezekiel 11.23 says, The glory of Yahweh went up from the midst of the city and stood over the mountain which is east of the city. What mountain is that? That's the Mount of Olives. Jesus, God, manifest in the flesh the return of the glory of God is coming back via the Mount of Olives. But He'll be rejected and killed and from the Mount of Olives, God would depart once again at the ascension of Christ. And now Jesus is presenting Himself officially to Israel. Your Messiah is here. The glory of God has returned. But the first real Messianic mission is not one that deals with a king to conquer nations, By the king who will conquer sin. If Israel were really to receive her Messiah, it would have to be in repentance of sin. But did you notice how Jesus makes it clear that he is the Son of God? He is the kingly fulfillment of Zechariah 9, verse 9? He shows, first of all, his sovereign, all-knowing nature. He commanded the disciples, go into the village. Immediately, you'll find a cult. Jesus already knew exactly what was going to happen. Why? Not because he could foretell the future, but because he ordains the future. He told them how to answer those who would question the two disciples borrowing the cult. He demonstrates his all-knowing nature. He is a sovereign God. He also demonstrates his lordship. The disciples said, the Lord has need of it. And they appropriately use the Greek word kurios, the master, the Lord, the king. He sends them to get an unridden colt, a colt that nobody has ever ridden. If no one has ridden with it, it was still with its mother. And other gospels, in fact, confirm this. Unused animals were for sacred purposes because they were pure. They They were unused. They were undefiled. This was the animal that Jesus chose to ride to the cross, as it were. And by the way, he demonstrates his lordship over creation by riding an unridable animal. There are crowds from the outlying regions who are excited. They're rejoicing. Now it's misplaced rejoicing because they're assuming that Jesus is coming to, to bring in some sort of political reign. But what about the sophisticated? What about the religious? What about the high and mighty official representatives of Israel? Those in Jerusalem, they're a different story. We'll see that in a minute. They do anything but rejoice. It's the second presentation. He presents himself as the Prince of Peace of Israel. He is the Prince of Peace of Israel. The disciples threw their cloaks on the colt. This was for Jesus' comfort, for his honor and now we see Jesus do something he'd never done anywhere else in the Gospels. Jesus, who walked everywhere, will get up on a colt to ride. We've never seen him do that. For the first time, he allows himself to be treated like a king. And you might say, riding in on the colt of a donkey doesn't seem very kingly. Doesn't a great king ride in on a, on a mighty steed, faithful and powerful as a war horse? Well, certainly the colt of a donkey isn't associated with any military conquest at all. But in ancient times, a, a little village or a little town could be terrified that a mighty conquering emperor or king was on its way. That He could be coming with armies to decimate them. He could be coming to destroy them and that was not uncommon. But if the king rode in on the little colt of a donkey, oh, Everyone knew everything was okay because the king comes in peace. Not a great military conquest. No intentions of violent upheaval. Jesus comes in peace. Jesus said it this way in John 12, 47. He said, I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. Now, he will be the judge of the world at the end, but at his first coming, he came to save he came to bring peace between man and God to provide men the opportunity to repent, to provide them the opportunity to humbly bow before holy God. And this is why Isaiah said in Isaiah 9.6 that unto us a child is born, to us a son is given. And he's called in this verse the Prince of Peace. Not just because Israel expected Messiah to bring peace to the nation of Israel, but more importantly, to bring peace between Israel and the God that they had offended for so many centuries. Now, if you know your Bible, you might be wondering why Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10, do not think that I came to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace by the sword. That's still completely consistent with his mission. Jesus did not come to bring peace among nations. That wasn't his purpose. He came to bring peace between men and God, which would, as the next verse says in Matthew 10, set a man against his family. That when someone is saved, when they repent of their sin, their unsaved family, as often as not, many of you have experienced this, reject them, reject God, reject that person. That is the sword of division. The gospel divides. No, Jesus didn't come galloping into Jerusalem in armor and with a sword leading battalions of battle-hardened soldiers to take back His city, to take back His capital. He simply came humbly as the Prince of Peace. He made a third presentation. He came as the God of Israel. He came as the God of Israel. He didn't just come as a representative of God. He came as God. People were spreading their cloaks, their garments on the road. This was an ancient practice for welcoming a new king. It was to minimize the dust. It was sort of a a, a carpet being laid out for him. The text says that leafy branches cut from the field were also spread before him. John's gospel also notes branches from palm trees and that's why we Use the term Palm Sunday. So three different materials being laid out here as people celebrated Jesus' approach to Jerusalem. And ostensibly there were thousands of people. This is right before Passover. People were coming literally from all over the known ancient world to come celebrate. And then those who went in front and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. But while that's happening, some other events are happening as well, not recorded in Mark. John 12 records that the crowd had been with him, that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead, continued to bear witness. In other words, they they were talking about this. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they heard he had done this sign So Jesus' spectacular miracle just done recently when he raised Lazarus from the dead in front of many witnesses. Word is spreading all over the place. No wonder crowds are gathering. Jews understood one thing if they didn't understand anything else. They did understand only God gives life. Only God gives life. And so for them, the fact that Jesus gave life and this man Lazarus is telling anybody who will listen to it and it was witnessed by so many God was in their midst. Claiming to be Messiah, claiming to be the Son of God is one thing. Raising people who have been dead for four days is quite another. Now, as you might imagine, this was very agitating to the Pharisees who hated Jesus. This was happening also. First, and I find this humorous, they turned on each other and then they turned on Jesus First, they turned on each other. John 12, 19, the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you're gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. They're all saying, well, you're not doing any good. Well, you're not doing any good. But then they turned on Jesus. Luke 19 records as he was drawing near already on the way down the Mount of Olives. The whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. What is Jesus saying? He's saying, I am God. And if these people don't worship me, you're going to see rocks worshiping me. Jesus never tried to hide the fact of his deity. He never denied being God. And now as he rides toward Jerusalem, the witness about Jesus that he does things only God can do is just growing. Why does he do things only God can do? Because he is the God of Israel. There's a fourth presentation. He presents himself as the Savior of Israel. He presents himself as the Savior of Israel Luke 19 records that the shouts of Hosanna began at the descent of the Mount of Olives where the road turns and Jerusalem comes into view. There were those in front. There were those who followed. As I read here in Mark 11, Jesus is surrounded by people who had followed him in from Bethany, most of whom were on their way to celebrate Passover in Jerusalem. And they were shouting repeatedly, Hosanna, this is Aramaic, for save we pray now, or save us now we pray. Hosanna in the highest. This is essentially a prayer to heaven for salvation and and in their minds from earthly oppression, but they knew that they were spiritually oppressed. They knew that they had a king who was there and many of them believed that he was God. These are people begging for salvation. But there's not yet a full comprehension that Jesus is really here to save them from their real enemy, which is sin. Now, I do want to make a note here. That when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, according to Matthew 21, saying, who is this? And the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. So you have actually two groups. You have the crowds who are coming to Passover. They're the ones who are following Jesus. They're the ones shouting Hosanna. Then you have the whole city. The faithless Jews of Jerusalem. These are the ones who would shout something different. They would shout crucify him. Matthew's gospel makes a very clear distinction. There are those who wish Jesus would become king and those who wish he was dead. And now as Jesus hears the shouts of acclamation from those around Him, as He looks ahead to Jerusalem where where the cynics and the religious frauds would reject Him, Luke 19 records this, And when He drew near and saw the city, He wept. It's a word that means to sob bitterly. He wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes for the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you, and they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. He's coming to offer salvation, but the city that he loves is going to kill him. And ironically, and in God's perfect plan, it is His death by which He will pay for the sins of all who would trust in Him. But those in Jerusalem now, some of them would witness and even die in the Roman destruction of Jerusalem just 40 years later because they crucified their king. And that leads us to the fifth presentation. He is the Davidic king of Israel. He is the Davidic king of Israel The cries of Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. The crowd has their theology dead on. They're exactly right. These are messianic exclamations and acclamations from Psalm 118. Psalm 118 is an affirmation of the Davidic covenant. God's covenant with the great King David. They say, oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good for his steadfast love endures forever. That's what Psalm 118 says. But no one has legitimately sat on the throne of David for six centuries. And yet these people are, are shouting to Jesus, Hosanna, save us, we pray. Where do they get that? Psalm 118.25, save us, we pray, O Yahweh. The very next verse Blessed is he who comes in the name of Yahweh. We bless you from the house of Yahweh. Psalm 118 was on their minds. Psalm 118 was part of the Hallel. Psalm 113 through 118 sung at Passover, celebrating God as Savior for redeeming them from their oppression in Egypt. But here's an important note. Psalm 118 was always sung in general. Blessed is any worshiper, anyone who comes in the name of the Lord. But now we see the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, this one who comes in the name of God. It had never been used in reference to an individual until the day Christ rode to Jerusalem. Jesus is the Davidic king who comes in the name of the Lord. Psalm 118.27 says, Yahweh is God and He has made His light to shine upon us. Jesus has made an unmistakable presentation to Israel. He's presented Himself as the Messiah, as the Prince of Peace, as the God of Israel, the Savior of Israel, the Davidic King of Israel. There's no mistaking this. He is the fulfillment of Zechariah 9 verse 9. But this glorious ride to Jerusalem, it ends so anticlimactically. The eastern gate he was coming to was right outside the temple complex. In fact, it led directly into the temple complex. You couldn't ride an animal into it. You you walked into it. So I believe that Jesus dismounted right before he actually arrived to the city and he walked directly into the temple. Jesus was inspecting His Father's temple. This is the same Jesus who would inspect the seven churches of Revelation 2 and 3. He observed the unholy and sinful ways that the temple was now used for a phony faith. And He meant to make a public declaration of condemnation the next day. While He was there, that day, Matthew 21 says, and the blind and the lame came to Him in the temple and He healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. And they said to him, Do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, Yes. Have you never read out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies? You have prepared praise. And so despite the overwhelming evidence... That this is Jesus Christ, the true King, the Messiah, the Savior of Israel. Jerusalem failed to recognize Him. They didn't know their own great need. And so, He left. He left that day to go back to Bethany. He accepted the final decision of Israel to reject Him. Tomorrow, He would go back. And for the second time, He wouldn't just cleanse the temple, but now He would curse the temple and false temple worship. He would curse those who would worship a false god. Almost certainly, your Bibles have a heading at the beginning of Mark 11 called the triumphal entry. A triumph is a Roman term for a general riding back into Rome as a conquering hero It was a parade with all the bounty, all the prizes of his conquest following after him. He's honored. He's given titles and awards. It truly is what we know as a triumph. But for Jesus, this wasn't a triumph. He didn't come to rule. He came to die. He dismounted the colt of the donkey, as the crowds dispersed. There there, there was no fanfare. There were were no bands and orchestras and choirs. It it was just an odd dispersal. The crowds just kind of petering out. And so it wasn't a triumph or an entry. Jesus rode quietly in the midst of false expectations from the people, knowing full well He was going to the cross in four days, His enemies are still alive and well, so first Jesus will go to the cross for the sins of Israel and for all who would trust Him for salvation. The real triumphal entry hasn't happened yet, but just so you know, next time, no more donkeys, no more Pharisees yelling insults. Heaven will open up. The one who is called, faithful and true, will be seated on a white horse and He will judge and He will make war. His eyes will be a flame of fire. His robe will be colored with the blood of the enemies he's about to strike down. Following him will be all the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, following him on white horses. Zechariah 14 says that as the nations are gathered to battle against the Lord, on that day his feet shall stand on, guess which mountain? The Mount of Olives. If you can't say anything else about Jesus, you can say he knows how to make an entrance. And the Mount of Olives will be split in two. And the Israelites who have come to faith in Christ will escape while Jesus deals with their enemies in a fierce and quick battle. Now that's a triumphal entry. If I ever publish a Bible, I will move the title, Triumphal Entry, over to Revelation 19, just for my own satisfaction. Have you had a Triumphal Entry? Because for the Christian, the Triumphal Entry of Christ was the day He saved you from your sin and sent His Spirit to enter your life and change you into a new creation in Christ. He comes first as Savior, And we glory in that. But he will come as judge. And the age in between is when men have the chance to decide. When men have the chance to worship Christ. My prayer for any hearing this who do not know Christ is that you would repent and you would cry out to Jesus, Hosanna! Save now! I pray. Our Father, we thank you for this glorious season each year when we recall first the entrance of Christ into the world. As we've looked this evening, we recall the entrance of Christ presenting Himself as King. But He also entered into great and terrible suffering as He bore the wrath of God, poured on Him for the sins of all who would believe And He entered into life everlasting as the first human being to be raised from the dead, never to die again. And He entered into heaven once again as the conquering Savior, having conquered sin and death. And He will enter into our existence once again when He returns. But Lord, my prayer is for those who do not know Christ because only the one who is in Christ can truly have a Merry Christmas. Only the one who is in Christ can truly understand the massive, eternal significance of the babe who was born in Bethlehem. Oh, we thank You for Christ. We thank You for our dear Savior. And it's in His name we pray. Amen.